You're listening to the Dead Presidents Podcast. And this is the Top 5 Most Accomplished Presidential Dads. Welcome to the Dead Presidents Podcast. I'm Stephen Lincoln Douglas. And I'm James J. Hamilton. We got another top five for you. Last week, we took a gander at uh, some of the most accomplished presidential sons. Well, how about them presidential daddies? Yeah, we, uh, in the top five sons, we disqualified John Quincy Adams and George W. Bush, you know, assuming they were the real number one and two. Sure. But... They're already in the podcast as presidents. We're going to do the same with the top five dads. Going to have, obviously, John Adams, George H.W. Bush would be number one and two on the dads. So really looking at a seven through three list here, but it's only fair. Some more dads that uh, they're not going to have their own episodes like John Adams and George H.W. Bush will. That's it. But they're worthy of being in the top five. So, with our ever-just approach, we bring you the top five most accomplished presidential dads. Number five. Alfonso Taft. Born in Vermont in 1810, Alfonso Taft attended Yale College, where he helped to create the Skull and Bones Secret Society. He graduated Yale Law School, moved to Cincinnati, became one of its leading citizens. He had five children with his first wife, then five more with a second wife. Thank God for that second wife, because one of her children will be William Howard Taft. Alfonso Taft helped to form the Ohio Republican Party. He was a delegate to the 1856 Republican National Convention. He was a judge on the Ohio Superior Court, where he wrote a dissenting opinion in a case uh, coming out against reading the Bible in public schools on religious liberty grounds. That view was a dissent in his court, but it was unanimously adopted by the Ohio Supreme Court. That's pretty big. Yeah, that opinion cost him a bit of popularity, helped him lose the 1875 Republican nomination for governor to a guy by the name of Rutherford B. Hayes. None other than Rutherford B. Hayes. Who's going to step right from that governorship into the presidency. That's it. Could it have been Alfonso Taft? Who knows? Very well could have been. You could have had another father-son. Well, 1876, President Ulysses Grant named Alfonso Taft as Secretary of War, where he worked on revising military expenditures and trading policies, but he only spent a few months in the War Department before he was moved uh, to Attorney General under Grant, supporting Grant's use of the Army to suppress Southern violence against African Americans in the 1876 presidential election also supported the compromise settling that election in favor of Rutherford B. Hayes. 1882, 
President Chester Arthur named Taft U.S. Minister to Austria-Hungary. And then in 85, he became Minister to Russia. Pretty distinguished career. But then his son went on to become President and Chief Justice of the United States. He had a grandson and a great-grandson become U.S. Senators. And his great-great-grandson was Governor of Ohio. That's right. You'll recall last week we talked about Robert Taft, Mr. Republican. The Tafts, quite, a legitimate political dynasty. Yeah, quite a dynasty going through the generations. That's it. You know, when you think of presidents most times, it's, oh, John Adams, John Quincy Adams, George H.W. Bush, George W. Bush. Hey, you got to remember that even though it's not a presidential lineage there's political dynasties and we're going to revisit that here again as we proceed with the top five most accomplished presidential dads number four prescott bush born in columbus ohio in 1895 he attended yale college and was a member of skull and bones He served as an intelligence officer and artillery captain in the First World War and saw action in the Meuse-Argonne Offensive. He went into business after the war and ended up a partner in the investment banking firm Brown Brothers Harriman. He lived in Greenwich, Connecticut and served as finance chairman of the state Republican Party. He was an early supporter of Planned Parenthood and the United Negro College Fund. He was elected to the U.S. Senate in 1952 and was a close ally of President Eisenhower. He supported the interstate highway system, the Polaris submarine project, the Peace Corps, and the Civil Rights Acts of 1957 and 1960. In 1954, he votes to censure Senator Joe McCarthy for his red-baiting activities denouncing McCarthy for causing, quote, dangerous divisions among the American people. He sponsored the Bush Hurricane Survey Act, which enabled the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers to develop flood protection programs. In 1960, Eisenhower included Bush on a handwritten list of ten potential candidates for the Republican presidential nomination. He was an avid golfer, serving as president of the U.S. Golf Association and winning the National Senior Championship in 1951. He had five children, including George H.W. Bush, and instilled in his children the idea that wealth and privilege came with an obligation to serve the community. Yeah, George H.W. Bush would be serving his country and the Second World War, and then in a long public career, had big uh, shoes to fill with his own father, and another dynasty that spans multiple generations. That's it. And that's going to bring us to the top five most accomplished presidential dads. Number three. Benjamin Pierce. Born in Massachusetts in 1757. Benjamin Pierce became a farmer and he was plowing his fields in 1775 when he learned of the Battle of Lexington. He immediately put down his plow and headed off to join the revolution. That's it, the classic image of the American patriot working in the fields. He's toiling, he's breaking the sweat. Somebody rides up, 
there's a war on. Hurls down the plow, runs to grab his musket, heads off in the direction of the fray. Oh yeah, and he fought at the Battle of Bunker Hill, he fought at the Battle of Saratoga, and then he survived the dismal winter at Valley Forge under George Washington. Yeah. He was an original member of the Society of the Cincinnati. After the war, he settled in New Hampshire and had ten children, the eighth of which being Franklin Pierce. Benjamin Pierce was a general in the state militia, a delegate to the state constitutional convention of 1791. He was in the state legislature for 13 years. He was on the governor's council for 10 years. He was a county sheriff for 13 years and he served as governor of New Hampshire for two one-year terms in 1827 and 29. He'd been an anti-federalist, a Jeffersonian Republican. He ended his life as a Jacksonian Democrat, casting a vote for Jackson as an elector of the Electoral College in 1832. That's right, and this is a man of the people. Yeah. As governor, he still favors the tri-corner hat long since out of style, but it's a throwback, mm -hmm. and the veterans recognize it and the people recognize it. And on that same page, we mentioned it in episode 14, he's known for paying the debts of two veterans in debtor's prison at the time because he didn't think that somebody that fought and bled for the birth of this nation should you know be locked up in it he pays off their debts well Benjamin Pierce That's a popular move yeah he supports the troops and he was very popular and had a big reputation that helped uh, Franklin Pierce get into the political game absolutely starting his career working for his father's gubernatorial campaigns and then it was just up from there. Good initial experience. And that's going to bring us to the top five most accomplished presidential dads. Number two. Joseph Kennedy. Born in 1888 in Boston, all four of his grandparents were off-the-boat Irish immigrants. He graduated from Harvard College with a degree in economics. He used family money to buy a controlling interest in Columbia Trust Bank and at the age of 25 boasted of being the youngest bank president in America. He had success as a real estate investor and during World War I oversaw a shipyard that produced transports and warships, a job in which he met Assistant Secretary of the Navy, FDR. He married Rose Kennedy in 1914 and had nine children including four sons, Joseph Jr., John, Robert and Ted. In 1919, he joined a Wall Street brokerage firm and mastered the unregulated tactics of insider trading and market manipulation. He started his own investment firm and became a multimillionaire and shrewdly withdrew from the stock market just before the 1929 crash. During the Great Depression, he multiplied his fortune through real estate investment and motion picture production, creating the RKO Movie Studio, and having a three-year affair with Gloria Swanson. Wow. Nice. 
Scholars have found no evidence to support the claims of various gangsters that Kennedy was involved in bootlegging schemes during Prohibition, but he started a liquor importing business just as Prohibition ended. Good timing. He got involved in politics to support FDR's presidential campaign and was named chairman of the new Securities and Exchange Commission, where he put an end to many of the speculative and manipulative practices he had gotten rich on himself. He next became chairman of the U.S. Maritime Commission and in 1938 was named ambassador to the United Kingdom, where he supported Neville Chamberlain's appeasement of Nazi Germany. When the European War began, he broke with FDR and opposed aid to Britain, taking an isolationist position against American involvement. He supported FDR's re-election in 1940, but resigned after the election. Two of his sons fought in World War II with Joseph Jr. killed in action as a bomber pilot, and JFK returning home a hero. Kennedy had high ambitions for his sons. It has been said that Quote, Joseph Kennedy Sr. is the only man in history who ever consciously set out to make one of his sons the President of the United States of America and succeeded. With Joseph Jr. dead, Joseph Sr. poured all of his influence into JFK's political career and oversaw his successful 1960 presidential campaign. He also influenced the choice of Robert Kennedy for Attorney General despite his limited legal experience. Joseph Kennedy Sr. suffered a debilitating stroke in 1961, but he lived until 1969, just long enough to see JFK and RFK assassinated and Ted's presidential hopes shattered by the Chappaquiddick incident. Wow. Probably no other dad had such a uh, hands-on influence in actually making his son the president. Certainly not, and I don't think that any other political familial dynasty has endured as much tragedy as the Kennedys. Oh, yeah. But that's going to bring us around to the top five most accomplished presidential dad. Number one. Benjamin Harrison. Born in Virginia in 1726, Benjamin Harrison V became the head of his prominent family at the age of 19 when his father was killed by a bolt of lightning. Now, what are the chances? I don't know. Benjamin Harrison V inherited a lot of slaves, thousands of acres, and several plantations, including Berkeley Plantation. He got married, had eight children, the youngest being William Henry Harrison. In 1752, he joined the Virginia House of Burgesses and immediately participated in a confrontation with the king and parliament over a land tax. Going to become a trend. In the 1760s, he joined in the growing protest against parliament's authority to tax the colonies. 1770, he participated in a boycott of British imports and sponsored a bill declaring parliament's laws void unless they received the consent of the colonists. 1772, he and Thomas Jefferson helped prepare an address to the king calling for the end of the importation of slaves from Africa. 1773, he joined a new boycott in protest of the intolerable acts passed in response to the Boston Tea Party. Next year, Virginia elected him a delegate to the First Continental Congress in Philadelphia. 
John Adams' diary described Harrison as obscene, profane, impious, and, quote, another Sir John Falstaff. He became an ally of John Hancock, supported another boycott against British imports, and a petition of grievances to the king. In 1775, he was present in Richmond during Patrick Henry's Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death speech, and he served on a committee to raise a colonial military force. He went back to the Second Continental Congress, where one of his roommates was George Washington. When Washington was named to command the Continental Army in Boston, Harrison and Ben Franklin went to Boston to assess the needs of the Army. He participated in the debates on independence, and on July 4, 1776, he was the one who read out in Congress the final version of the Declaration of Independence. What an honor. Can you imagine? I mean, that's monumental. It's a pretty big day. He signed the Declaration, and the future members of the Harrison family would call him the Signer. That's right. They had to differentiate him from all the other Benjamin Harrisons. There was a lot of them. But he was, uh, he was known for his sense of humor, and when he was signing the Declaration, he joked to Elbridge Gary, I shall have a great advantage over you, Mr. Gary, when we are all hung for what we are now doing. From the size and weight of my body, I shall die in a few minutes and be with the angels, but from the lightness of your body, you will dance in the air an hour or two before you are dead. <laughs> bringing the literal gallows humor yeah. to the signing of the Declaration. He, he served as chairman of the Board of War before leaving Congress to rejoin the Virginia legislature where he defeated Thomas Jefferson to become Speaker of the House. In 1781, British forces led by the turncoat Benedict Arnold invaded Virginia and raided Harrison's Berkeley plantation, destroying most of Harrison's possessions and all of the family portraits. I think that bothers me the most is the destruction of the family portraits. Yeah. Because in most cases, that's the sole image of somebody's grandmother mm -hmm. or great-grandmother that they haven't even met, and all they have is that image and the stories passed down. And with that gone, I mean, that's just... God, if that ain't the lowest yeah. thing... He's trying to wipe the Harrisons out of history, but here they are featured on the Dead President's Podcast. That's right. It'll take more than fucking Benedict Arnold to stop us. Yeah. Well, Benjamin Harrison V rehabilitated his home and continued to work for the Revolution. He served as governor of Virginia from 1781 to 84, pursuing a policy of peace with the Indians. 1786, he was back in the state legislature. 88, he was an anti-federalist delegate to the Virginia Convention that ratified the Constitution. He stayed in the legislature until his death in 1791, after which his son, William Henry Harrison, used his dad's connection to President George Washington and President John Adams to secure an army commission, and some territorial appointments that launched his own career. That's it. 
another, another political dynasty. Yeah, another big Harrison. dynasty goes For from sure. Benjamin the Fifth to William Henry Harrison to John Scott Harrison, who served in the House of Representatives, and then President Benjamin Harrison. That's it. A big deal. Almost as big of a deal as the presidential podcast that is number one in the hearts of our listeners. This has been the Dead Presidents Podcast. Until next time.